whatever the case, we're going to talk about the scriptures. So let's, let's uh, thank God. Dear Lord, we're very grateful for your word. We're grateful for the time we make in this free country, which I trust you will protect. We'd ask that we'd use our freedom to pursue you. And these times, these moments, we're gathered together in a place that we know the people we are with share our pursuit of you. We'd ask that that would be an encouragement to us and that we'd see you in the creation. In your son's name we pray, amen. Um, we're in Proverbs. Essentially, it's the last chapter of Proverbs. Ish. Chapter 24. You say, I know better than that because I've heard of Proverbs 30, you know, Proverbs 31. If you look at Proverbs, there's the part that Solomon wrote, okay? Solomon, the first 24 chapters, wrote um, his Proverbs. He has nine chapters of sort of introduction and then Proverbs through chapter 24. At the end of chapter 24, uh, a portion we will not cover, at Taurus 23 it says, these also are sayings of the wise. And Solomon, or someone, appended um, uh, 10 proverbs or so of appendix of smart people sayings added to Solomon's smart people sayings. Okay, Solomon had his own, and then right at the end he may have just got, oh, okay, there's some other smart things you might want to know. Chapter 25, Hezekiah's scribes many years later hundreds of years later, are pulling together other sayings of Solomon that they knew Solomon had said. First verse 25, these also are Proverbs of Solomon, which the men of Hezekiah, king of Judah, copied. So the book of Proverbs sort of was proverbial through chapter 24, Solomonic, and then, well, Hezekiah, he's mid-700s B.C., um, Solomon is 1,000 B.C., so you're looking at 250 years more. Um, so that's like looking back at, yeah, if you're putting together a, the works of Thomas Jefferson and you found his autobiography and then you found some letters of his many years later and added them to it. That's what happens here. And then it gets at the, by the time you get to the end of Proverbs, they're throwing in um, the words of Agur, and uh, Lemuel, king of Massa, those are the things right at the end. So it's a, there's, there's, this has nothing to do with the sermon. I was just, well, the reason is we're in chapter 24, and this is sort of Solomon's wrap-up, if you want to think of it in those terms. Uh, he had an introduction for nine chapters and a lot of uh, proverbs, and then he's kind of wrapping up the theme roughly. Um, so these are the last verses, 1 through 22, before it's the appendix stuff. Now, it's all very, it's all very predictably proverbial sounding. You know, be wise, my son. Don't be stupid. Okay, thank you. Can we go home now? 
you might suspect that there is more to wisdom than just being told not to be stupid. We could fix this world pretty easily if that's all it took. And sometimes you think it is so self-evident, so axiomatic, that that's stupid, what they're doing, that you think in a debate online, I'll just have to tell them they're stupid, and they'll stop doing that. And lo and behold, they're just in the middle of typing to you how stupid you are, and you should stop it. So what are we really dealing with here? I have in red there verse 3 and 4. Now verse 3 and 4 are really my actual reason for going to this passage. They are the verse, the thematic verse that Leslie and I used when we are putting our child-rearing seminar together. And you'll see why. By wisdom, a house is built. And by understanding, it is established. By knowledge, the rooms are filled with all precious and pleasant riches. Now, that could be pretty direct, right? If you ever saw the, I think there was a movie with Cary Grant back in the day called Mr. Smith Builds a House or something like that. There's one, what? No. Was it Cary Grant? Was that Cary Grant? Oh, well. Maybe they had a lot of house building in the movies back then. It's one of those awful things that you expect will happen when you attempt to build a house. Everything will go wrong. We watched as the house that was put up on stilts a few tragic months ago fell into a hole next to my dad's house. Folly was there. By wisdom a house is built, and by understanding it is established, and by knowledge the rooms are filled with all precious and pleasant riches. Sounds like a pretty good gig. Sounds like this is what you want. And you go to you say to yourself, is he really talking about construction? And the, you might say, getting the right furniture. Mm, it's probably a metaphor. You can apply it to the house. Maybe the most direct thing, it's possibly the, mm, the home, the dynasty that you put into it. By wisdom it's built, by understanding established. I would encourage you, whatever, as you struggle to find a metaphor that fits this, make distinctions between the words wisdom, understanding, and knowledge. Look at the rewards that come with each. Um, now, we don't just have a, the possibility of applying this to your home building project or to the, the dynasty that you're going to rear, the kids you have, to, uh, wisdom, understanding, knowledge. Yes, it applies to that too. But those things are all part, be it the physical house or the dynasty you put in it. I'm a monarchist. That's why I use terms like dynasty rather than descendants. You have a dynasty. It's all Those things are all really about the narrative you put together regarding your life. 
you're all building one. I've mentioned this before, perhaps too much, that you're, you, you write a narrative in your head. It's a running story of you, how you're expecting. Sometimes you're so, you know, filled with it that you're actually planning what the other people ought to say at this moment, and that's what ticks you off so much about other people. They didn't say what they were supposed to say. We all have narratives of our life. Some of us are really general. We're very laid back and, and just sort of whatever happens, you know, I'm, the, I'm just going to roll with it, whatever happens. But you have a narrative. You have a plan, a five-year plan, a ten-year plan maybe. You see yourself a certain way. Have you ever been in a situation where you had that assignment to describe yourself really accurately while everyone else in the room was also going to describe you really accurately? You know they're not the same. But all those things, whether I build a physical house or build a dynasty, I'm really talking about I'm writing the narrative. I'm, I'm building a, if you say this metaphor is just for your life. It's built, established, and apportioned with either precious or disgusting furniture. Pleasant or very unpleasant. Now, so I was thinking about this, because this verse was on my mind, it's been on my mind for a number of years. Um, and I included the first verse, you say, you skipped over the verse, two verses before it, but I, I wanted to start here in two and three and four. Verse 1 and 2 says, Be not envious of evil men, nor desire to be with them, for their minds devise violence, and their lips talk of mischief. Then into the favorite verses, By wisdom a house is built. Because not only do narratives get written wisely and with understanding and with knowledge, and they produce the kind of life that this is promising, the failure to write the narrative this way. The failure to write the narrative. And I want you to look at this. That wisdom, understanding, and knowledge. You know something missing? Righteousness? It doesn't actually say righteousness anywhere there. It says, a good life will come to you with wisdom, understanding, and knowledge. I was uh, a young woman was over the other night, and we were talking about creation. Not in the usual evangelical arguments about is it old earth, young earth, that sort of stuff. We were talking about the philosophy of creation. Is it possible that you could have a creation not only without a good, without a God? Is it possible to have existence without a God? Is it possible to have an existence without a good God? In other words, could God have made, could God have been an omnipotent demon that made the world in a demonically malicious way that everything that you call good would be evil and everything that we call evil would be good? Could that be? Now, admittedly, we wouldn't like it. Because in order to be good here on Sunday morning, knives would have to come out. We'd have to be plunging each other into, you know, death. Because the best goodness we could do by going to church, and of course, going to church wouldn't be good. So we'd be walking by, flipping off the building, and then murdering somebody in the co-op. 
because, well, that's what you do for a good, you know, righteousness in this world you are imagining. Well, you know, evil men, we sometimes, we envy them. They seem, they seem like they got it all going on. You ever see movie stars? I've seen some movie stars, not in person, but like on my phone. And they're pretty. And the men are handsome. And um, the Halloween party this year is going to be cult classics. So when you're a fat 66-year-old with a beard and white hair, you're kind of limited. But you always wish there'd be some fat 66 white-haired movie star you could pretend to be. Problem is, Sean Connery isn't fat. He's a lot older than I am. I think he's like 80 or something, 100. Now, we're trying to face a world that we want to understand, and if we understand it, and we start without reference to righteousness, all you have to do is stop and think. This is wisdom. Understanding and knowledge will give you a good life, but it will also give you the recognition that evil is a counter, uh, it's a calamitous production. Okay? Creation by nature is a building thing. God exercised power to call things into being out of nothing. And provided them with systems by which they would repeat and replicate. And they were good and enjoyable systems. People get to sit down and have food. We were at uh, Oars last night, and those three girls can put it away. They enjoy their food quite a bit. They're not even paying attention. You get mentioned from the pulpit. We know that food is great. We love, we love that moment where you sit down at a restaurant with friends or a great meal cooked at home by the people you care about, talking. Things like also women, sex, babies. There's some babies here. All this is God's. The, the creation creates. The creation builds. The creation uh, is looking to establish houses. The creation, your body was designed to build itself and regenerate itself. Ever think in terms of your sexuality, in terms of I'm looking to the other part of me because the human being, the humankind, can't reproduce itself without the other. It has to find the other. You're just you know, putting the things to get back together that were together before Eve was created. So creation is building and evil is calamity and chaos and destruction. And that's what hatred, how hatred is different from love. You turn away from everybody. You don't care what they are going through. You don't face them. You stab them in the back because their minds devise violence and their lips talk of mischief. Now, mischief, violence, all those things 
are immediate rewards to the self. This is what the great contention is. I keep mentioning sin is all self. And the person who is seeking righteousness turns towards God. But that's what wisdom would lead you to. What understanding would help you figure out that I must, I must turn towards others and I must turn towards God. It's a... It's the nature of the abstraction that is creation. We, don't, we, we, we often talk about the history of creation, but I'm saying just that it is here and not imploding on itself. Why would a God who was evil do that which built, that creates itself, that is creative, that is enjoyed by others in the world that it's in? Now, that's a, that's a metaphor we like. We like that, oh, the house, the established, you know, it's longer term. Built is one thing, established is longer term. And then it's apportioned with good things, pleasant things. What could be better than that kind of home? We don't often pick up an ancient other form of metaphor. A wise man is mightier than a strong man, and a man of knowledge than he who has strength. For by wise guidance, you can wage your war. Hello? And in abundance of counselors, there is victory. If somewhere else in Proverbs, I forget where, in abundance of counselors, there is wisdom. But here he's not telling you, the metaphor is winning a war. We have to realize that at all points in our society, all points of man, the narrative is not just affected by how smart you are, how wise you are, have you really examined, how susceptible you are to the ways of the world. And they're handing you a notion that says, no, it is never right to go to war. <laughs> Knock it off. Quit being so, you know, high school, junior high. Oh, but someone might get hurt. Yeah, that's kind of the point. Armies are out there to kill people and break things. It's a... Uh, it's a dark reality because, because in establishing, establishing in this fallen world, because the world is now fallen and given over to a large degree to the calamity that sin brought into it, we're, we're a, our houses, our establishment, our things that we have to do have to grab hold of, you might say, harsh realities of real politic. What has to be done? The police have to chase someone down. People have to be put to death. Nations have to be defeated in battle. What's your narrative is to break, what the narrative hopes to be is one of order, one of peace, one of establishment, one of enjoyment, pleasant riches, precious riches, victory over your enemies. Whatever the wise, knowledgeable, and understanding, or wise, understanding, and knowledgeable things are, there is an obligation to deal. You've heard me, I've been on a recent uh, hobby horse, and my mind can get like that, so I apologize for these phases that I was thinking about something too much, and so it ends up in sermons or certain words. And I have 
I have, we'll just call them dear friends in this congregation, who will tell me you're saying the word blank too much. Okay, all right. You preach every Sunday. Everything in this world, everything has this unseen expectation of communion with everything else in this world. You got to deal with it. There's you and it, and there's how you deal. How you commune. And wisdom, understanding, and knowledge is the package of dealing. You sometimes have to be at war. And wouldn't it be nice if you were smart enough to win it? Sometimes you're going to start a business, and you're, and you're, I have tried to start businesses a few times, um, and I'm not really good at it. I even had a lunchbox, Merleza can testify to this, that I, uh, I for me, it's, it's all the, uh, because I was in the arts, and it's all the image, and I really wanted that black lunchbox, you know, that had the, the thermos and the lid, and then a sandwich, and maybe a bag of potato chips, and maybe a cookie. And I wanted to go to work carrying my lunchbox. Years ago, I wanted to be on plane flights as a business customer, and I almost wanted to have my suit say businessman across the back. Because it's that's, for me, it was just sort of I was playing a role, you know. But I wasn't good at business. Wasn't, I could eat the lunch. I enjoyed the lunches. You say, too many of those lunches, Evan. What was I going on about that for? Uh, we have, in all these things, business, you start a business. Some dear friend of yours is starting a business that also sells the same scotch tape that you sell, and he puts you out of business because he's better at it than you. You don't, you're not owed a scotch tape business. You're not owed victory in battle. Victory in battle goes to the wise, to the understanding. A man's knowledge is greater than a man who has strength. Wise guidance, you can wage war and have victory over your enemies. Because all of life is the communion with all of life. That's the, and, and remember, this world exists from a good God. It was made good, made righteous, made holy, made communing perfectly with each other, good things being exchanged, things being faced to face with each other. And then sin came in the world and people started turning away from everybody else and all that is wrong in the world is everybody turning away from God and from everyone else in the world and taking their own. So we have war. And it just says that when comes wars and fightings among you, is it not your passions that wage war in your members? Because you want. You do not ask, so you take and you kill and you... That's what all that is wrong in the world. Every little problem you have had with a girlfriend in high school is because you are just an awful person. Because the way you commune, you don't recognize that what you're doing <coughs> is trying to build the kind of dynasty the faithful would build in a fallen world. It's all we have right now until glory. 
the faithful have the possibility of drawing a peaceful existence in God's world if they understand what's going on and do their part to face it, their part to commune with it as they should, their part to wage war wisely, to build houses wisely. It's... Um, It has to be these things. And I can say, you can say it enough. It's like telling the world or somebody online that they're stupid doesn't fix it. Telling people to get wisdom doesn't get it for them. Okay? You, just, you can say wisdom, understanding, and knowledge all morning long, send you on your way with a blessing at the end, and you'll be just as much without wisdom as you were. Verse 7 says, wisdom is too high for a fool. In the gate, he does not open his mouth. If you're missing a few of the, you might say, the, the knowledge of the ancient world, the gate was where the men gathered and spoke of things, kind of like uh, the Stoa was in Greece. Uh, the Stoas, you had the General Stoa, um, uh, I forget, a variety of Stoas, there are colonnades that merchants would use, and houses of philosophy or schools of thought would function in the Stoa. That's where Paul would go to debate various philosophers. The city gate was that way in the Middle Eastern uh, city-state situation, and that's where the men would gather and contend about issues, settle things, do justice, argue out things. And you had standing in the city gates. The fool, it's too high for him. He doesn't say anything. He's not contributing to what would fix. If you want to think of wisdom as things that fix. I, years ago, I was trying to think of a way to, just for my own mind, figure out there's crooked things. There's bent things in the world. And wisdom is kind of the ability to go tweak it, say something that actually go, oh, I understand now. Oh, I can see how I can do that. You got those videos on YouTube for anything you want to fix. You're thanking God every moment they exist because there it is. Somebody was doing something that I ran across how to level a toilet twice yesterday and I wasn't even looking and I needed my toilet level and there were two videos which I watched we like wisdom it fixes things now re remember if you know the task that you're under that you've got a set of thoughts in your brain that are your narrative your understanding, your wisdom, if it doesn't match the way it actually is, God help you. If you do not have the understanding of God's world so that you can fix something, God help you. Because you can't even speak up among the other men. And amongst the women, I'm sure there is that kind of understanding that exists, the women you know you can turn to to ask, 
how is this done? Or what would you do if? All those small wisdoms about child rearing, about cooking, about entertaining, about all sorts of things. But our lives are totally, you may, those are all metaphors. The house you're building are all metaphors for the life you stand in in communion with the rest of the world. He who plans to do evil, verse 8, will be called a mischief maker. The devising of folly is sin, and the scoffer is an abomination to men. If you faint in the day of adversity, your strength is small. Rescue those who are being taken away to death. Hold back those who are stumbling to the slaughter. If you say, behold, we did not know this, does, he, does not he who weighs the heart perceive it? Does not he who keeps watch over your soul know it? And will he not requite man according to his work? In this world, you're making this basic choice of are you standing in it um, knowing what you've got to pick up. There's a lot of people being hurt. There are things that are being damaged. There are relationships that are on their last um, bit, I guess you would call them, whether they're marriages or families or businesses or whatever. People taken away to death. And we're actually choosing between sin, folly, and in some cases, escapism. Are you only smart enough to run your little house if your little house never has anybody over? In other words, you have to hide from your world. If everyone left you alone, could you do it? I'm not sure you could, because you're... And then you start looking at your kids. You go, you should leave me alone too. There are some people who could only have peace if everything was limited. Oh, Jim was telling me this. Uh, we're standing out on the porch and we're talking about some other circumstance and somebody was telling somebody online about needing to stop climate change or something. And I don't know what you think about climate change. But the person who was a speaker didn't really care about climate change. He said, because until you learn to run your own life, don't you think you ought to not try to run the world? You know, that basically. Everybody else's life you're going to grab hold of and run their life and tell them what they can eat and not eat, what job they can have and not have, and you can't even get out of bed in the morning. There is a huge task. I, I've been encouraging people to think in terms of the autonomy of the will, the autonomy of the individual, not because I'm proud of man for being free. I just want to have them be scared and lonely. I want you all, all of us, to be scared and lonely so that we can pursue the communion that our God, who is not ourselves, our God, who's outside of us, we must find him, we must seek him, we must build up the, the, the knowledge of the holy because he is watching over us. Like I said, he, saw, he knows what my, I'm thinking. He knows what my little excuses were, my little evasions. Oh, I didn't know that that person was being hurt. Will he not requite man according to your work? 
Because it's going to come out, what you believe, what narrative you wrote, what wisdom, understanding, and knowledge you collected. You could pretend because the world and the nation is kind of affluent and kind of a degree of affluence ends up in your life even though you don't deserve it. So you could, you could lie to yourself. God doesn't. He judges you for what you did. So beginning to understand what's going on, why are we doing wisdom, why are we spending this, what is this home we're building, this house, this war we're carrying on. It has a positive I don't know if you ever picture the, you know, those cartoons where there's that wise guy on the mountaintop and somebody's crawling up to ask him a question. It's a standard trope of comics. I ever stop and think about what's that wise guy's life like when nobody's there asking him questions? What's he, what's the, how sweet is it to be that smart? You've, if, you'd, if you could follow C.S. Lewis around for a day, you're hiding in the bushes. He doesn't know you're there. You're just watching how it works out for C.S. Lewis. Kind of creepy, I realize, but you know, it's got time travel involved and you being a creeper, but someone smart. My son eat honey for his good. And the drippings of the honeycomb are sweet to your taste. Know that wisdom is such to your soul. If you find it, there will be a future and your hope will not be cut off. Because really, what, what is your narrative trying to do for you? You're trying to anticipate the next chapter. You like it when a song is going along and the melody is so well written that the melody suggests itself to you. You know what's going to happen. We like not having, we're cut off from every man in, in a kind of ultimate fashion. There's a true autonomy. And we have to we have to get that back. We're cut off in, you might say, the duration of things because you only exist right now. You don't exist five years ago. That's only a concept. You don't exist five years from now in the future. It's only a concept. We have the feeling, though, God put eternity in the man's hearts that he might not know. Got that? That he might not know what would come hereafter. God wants you to have an idea about tomorrow and then deny you any capability of knowing tomorrow. So, you'll have hope. Do you have hope? What's your handles get? What, when, you, when you grab the wisdom, the understanding, and the knowledge, you're saying to yourself, I am, I am crafting the wisdom that God, the wisdom that God uh, built the world with. It's, it's getting established in me. My home is getting established. I'm just being filled with great riches. And my future, I have confidence in it. My hope will not be cut off. You will find it. There will be a future. It's not just C.S. Lewis Smoking a pipe, you know he's smoking a pipe. Probably a cigarette. He likes cigarettes. 
little dumpy, walking stick, walking across some part in England, looking very charming, stopping at a tavern, humming a little ditty to himself, and thinking big thoughts, okay? Is that the pleasure? Is the pleasure the sort of self-awareness that you're C.S. Lewis? He probably didn't know that was important because he hadn't died yet. Or is it things like this, where it actually reaches outside of, you might say, uh, the romantic vision you have of, of a smart guy in a tweed coat and smoking a pipe, walking through England. You know, um, it's actually what it's doing for him. It's actually giving him a confidence about tomorrow. How much do you know about your God that would give you confidence about tomorrow? Not confidence that said he sent a prophet and told you what tomorrow would hold, but just that he is good and you stand in good stead with him, that your steadfastness, his steadfastness, that's what David's always singing about, his steadfast love endures forever. Your hope will not be cut off. Do not lie, in, lie not in wait as a wicked man against the dwelling of the righteous. Do not violence to his home, for a righteous man falls seven times and rises again. I like that verse. He's just been sort of promising, you know, also these get-out-of-jail-free cards for the wise. Your world's going to turn out. You got, you're going to have good-looking kids, and they'll be smart, and they'll go to Harvard, and your house will be established. It's, it's real here. Solomon's real. The righteous man will have, well, he'll be knocked down. But the wonderful thing in a fallen world, because this is how do we find assurances, like confidence in tomorrow, like confidence that what we're doing is not a waste of time. It's added to the problem of sin being persistent everywhere. We have the answer to calamity. The wicked just create it, but the wicked are overthrown by calamity. Because that's what wickedness is. It is self. It is not built on communing with the rest of creation in the way the creation was designed to be run. To the point where, in verse 17, do not rejoice when your enemy falls. Not only if you fall, seven times you'll get up again because, you know, you've got these problems worked out. You've understood your life. You know that it takes standing up again. You don't even rejoice when your enemy falls. And let not your heart be glad when he stumbles. This is a kind of a... A kind of a deep magic going on with this communion with the world. Remember it tells you in the New Testament to love your enemies? Because it is not wise to hate your enemies. Defeat your enemies, yeah, because that's what you do to enemies, but love them. And don't, when they collapse under the weight of their calamity, don't rejoice lest the Lord see it. See what? You, taking undue pleasure 
in the collapse of the enemy. We've had examples of it, well, just a couple days ago. A very liberal justice died on the Supreme Court and people had to breathe deep and say nice things. Notable person in the nation, long career, disagreed with everything she ever did, long career, great example to women, long career, supporting the death of innocent children, long career. You gotta go, at what point? You gotta watch that you don't turn God against your interests by the way you participate. The way you participate. Or do you have, remember, to establish your life in your house, you have to have understanding. And understanding, you might have the wisdom to know which is the right side of a particular, say, political or theological or personal philosophy. You may have that. But understanding it, understanding it, the question why has been asked adequately. You have not just able to fix something. Someone could say, why is that? And your, your understanding would answer it. If you get to this passage and you don't understand why God would be displeased and turn away his anger from him, your enemy would not suffer as much if you started to gloat. I think, what do we call it? Schudenfreude? Is that the... Got to watch that, people. And it may not, you know, we, we notice it mostly in political things, but we sometimes in theological areas, sometimes just family politics. Have you ever known a wife to kind of be a little too pleased when her husband did something wrong? Have you ever known that to be? Just a, a, basically taking gratification in an unwise understanding. An unwise, not a building, but a destructive thing. And you're, you're basically asking God to turn against you. Just like when you didn't step forward and help the weak and say, I didn't, under, I didn't know, we sometimes think that these things, well, that's part of the joy of beating your enemy, is the triumph you feel. Fret not yourself because of evildoers. Be not envious of the wicked. For the evil man has no future, and the lamp of the wicked will be put out. Remember that? If you find it, there will be a future, and your hope will not be cut off. Back at verse 14. Verse 20, the evil man does not. They are at odds. They are entertaining proceedings and uh, viewpoints, narratives out of their life that they, they plug into this system, and all it does is blow up calamitously in their face. Don't concern yourself with that. I don't have to fix the world. The world, the world can't get out of the world, and the world will be judged by he who keeps watch over your soul, he will requite it. It all comes back. 
my son, fear the Lord and the king. You say, well, yeah, with the king writing this, so of course he shoved that one in. It's like Evan saying, fear the Lord and the local Scotsman. And do not disobey either of them. Yes, that is true. For disaster from them will rise suddenly. And who knows the ruin that will come from them both. Now, if you go away from anything, with anything on this passage, is you're figuring out in your narrative, is your narrative true, accurate, wise, understanding, knowledgeable? It will build a house if it does. It will have victory if it does. Understanding that wisdom is not your memorization of enough proverbs. You know how to fix things. You know how to fix things between people, between souls, plumbing, I don't know, stuff, everything. Everything that's bent that can be fixed, wisdom fixes it. He straightens out what is crooked. The understanding, you were able to ask, why is this? And you were able to talk not just like some sort of legalist that says, well, God says it's wrong, so it's wrong. That's not understanding at all. What makes it wrong? And knowledge that fills your house with precious and pleasant riches, that's you remembering everything you've been through, everything you've looked at, everything you've gathered. It's data. So fix things. Understand why. And uh, remember everything you do. Remember what you're up against. Remember the circumstances. Tell the stories of things that you have been through to others. You share stories with them. They don't have to live through it. I'll tell you enough about my misspent youth and enough motorcycle accidents and bad girlfriends save you from those motorcycle accidents, but nothing will save you from bad girlfriends. Let's thank God. Dear Lord, we're grateful. Help us understand the world around us. Help us know that the wicked do not understand. That you have made a world that works, even in its sinful fallenness, it works. And we are here as your people to understand it to remedy it, to build on it, to be rewarded by it. Thank you very much. Watch over our lives. In your son's name, amen.